Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. Philippians chapter 2. I want to look this morning at verse, verses 9 through 11. When you came in, you received that outline. And uh, on that outline is the scripture for this morning, if that will be a help to you. And uh, Philippians chapter 2. As we read God's Word, I want to ask you to uh, just give it the, the dear reverence that it deserves. Would you follow along with me? And uh, Philippians chapter 2, let's look at verse, verses 9 through 11 as we pick up where we left off last week in the middle of an important text. And so this is God's Word. May we hear it as such this morning. Philippians 2 verse number 9. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him. And given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray as we have received the word this morning. Gracious Father, we come to you with our Bibles open, with our hearts open, as we desire today to be reminded again, over again, and continuously again, of that name that is above every name, that name of Jesus, that exalted name, that exalted place where our Savior sits this morning and where He is. May the truth of this passage, may it truly transform us. May it truly challenge and speak into our hearts and our lives. We ask this in that exalted name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. We come to this incredible passage of Scripture. I'm going to ask you, if you will, just to find your place where you are, find your seat as you're there, have your Bible ready, or your outline ready, and let's ask the Lord to just quiet our hearts this morning so that we can receive the Word. This passage of Scripture, as we learned last week, this portion here is a key piece of the worship service in the early church. As a hymn and as a poem that was sung and read, It was a a wonderful reminder, a wonderful reminder to the church about two things, two things that go together and fit together in concert. The first reminder was of the, the need for believers to walk in humble unity. The need for believers to walk in humble unity. At the same time, it is a reminder also It is a reminder also to each one of us of the humility of our Savior. The reminder that our Savior was humble and what that humility looks like in a church like ours. When Paul wants to mandate humble unity in a church, 
he points the Philippian Christians not to himself and not even to other members of their community, but he points, he points the believers to the, the humble unity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He doesn't tell them about how humble he is. He doesn't even point them to humility of other believers in the congregation. But Paul points the Christians to the humility of the Lord Jesus. The humility that only, as we heard last week, only can be produced by the work of the gospel of Jesus in our life. Last week we read these words. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And Jesus, Jesus took on himself. He he took on himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, Jesus, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We were all reminded last week That the mind of Christ is literally about imitating the way that Jesus thought, but also about the way he acted. We are to imitate his humility. We are to imitate his obedience to the Father. We are to imitate his passion for others. We are to imitate the self-sacrifice of Jesus. We are to live out this kind of life. This is the life lived like Christ. Unbeknownst to us in our day, it is this life, it is this life that is the true life. Unbeknownst to us in our day, it is this life, this humble life, this life of submission and sacrifice. This is actually the rewarding life, according to the scripture. This is the life of joy. The way we are told to live and the way it is put out before us in our day is a life of self-promotion. It is a life of self-glorying and self-exaltation. But my friends, I want to remind you today that the way of Jesus is a way of submission. The way of Jesus is a way of surrender. The way of Jesus is a way of sacrifice. The way of culture And the world system is to exalt yourself. But the way of Jesus is to bring yourself low in service and sacrifice to other people. And to trust the Father will exalt you. Peter, the apostle, wrote about it in this way in 1 Peter chapter 5. He said, likewise, ye younger, submit yourself unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. And be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Let me just remind you how that looks. The way of Jesus pushes against a culture that says, 
Exalt yourself. Make yourself known. Get yourself seen. Let your voice be heard. And the way of Jesus doesn't say you're not valuable. No, the way of Jesus says you are valuable, but so is everybody else. And so we submit and serve and sacrifice for one another. And the way of Jesus says, I do so trusting the Father will exalt me. That is a life of greater joy. Because the only other way to get that exaltation is for everybody else to affirm you and accept you and to brag on you. But Jesus and the way of Jesus says, no, you have the mind of Christ. You sacrifice and serve and submit and love and be generous to people and you trust the Father to exalt. Let's clarify a point here this morning by way of introduction. This passage is not talking about an insecure, subservient attitude based in weakness and fear. No, this text is talking about a secure identity in who you are in Jesus, which permits you to serve others. It permits you to live sacrificially. It permits you to walk in a spirit of meekness, knowing the who that validates you. Knowing the who that will exalt you. Knowing the who that will give you the glory and honor you deserve. That, my friends, is a secure identity in Christ. You find this quote in your outline. The world exalts itself and demands everyone's validation. The Christian, in light of the gospel, finds his validation in Christ. So therefore, does not need to exalt himself. The Christian instead exalts Christ by looking to the needs of another. I want you to think about this. You go, give me a practical. I want you to think about how this looks in a marriage. I want you to think about how this looks in a home. I want you to think about how this works, how, how this looks in a workplace. I want you to think about how this fits into a church when people come into a marriage or into a family or into a workplace or into a church and, and are free to say, I don't need you to validate me. I don't need you to exalt me. I don't even need you to notice me. I simply want to serve and give preference and deference to you. And in doing so, I now am worth, I am now glorifying Christ in how I've chosen to live in light of the gospel. This is exactly why we say this. The church is to be counterculture than the culture. The church functions totally different, but here's the beautiful thing about it. When the church presents, as Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, when the church presents to the world something totally different than the world, the church invariably attracts in the world. Why? Because the way of Jesus brings joy and everybody wants joy. The way of Jesus brings peace and everybody's looking for peace. The way of Jesus brings love because everybody's looking to be loved. And so in Paul's encouragement here in Philippians 3, he shows us Jesus. It's hard to take the text that we're in today without referring back. And so I want to quickly remind you of the pattern of the text. The pattern of the text is this. Stay with me. Jesus has full claim to glory and honor in eternity past. Jesus lays aside that full claim in his incarnation. 
Jesus obeys the Father, dying for all men. The Father exalts Jesus to the highest of places. And Jesus will receive all glory and honor that is due unto him. Now all that introduces our text for today. And so I want to put back up the picture I showed last week that I trust will be a help to you and I. This is the text in a picture form. This is how the life of Jesus is patterned for us. And I will say, it is the life of the believer lived in light of the gospel. It is Jesus patterning for us his pre-existent glory, his incarnation, and the lowest point of his crucifixion. It is that low point of even the death of the cross, Paul said. He's obedient all the way to death. And you and I know there's nothing lower than death on this earth. There is nothing lower. Jesus, who has created all things, submits to the Father. Jesus, who gives life to all people and all things, submits to the will of the Father. And he who gave life dies. In the resurrection, Christ is alive. He is made alive. He is given the the resurrected life. And he is picturing for us that resurrected life. Now stay with me. As he experiences the resurrection, he is then in the ascension. Jesus is exalted to the highest of places. Now, I understand today that none of us are Jesus. I understand today that you and I were not in eternity past in in an exalted place of glory. I understand that when you and I were born, we didn't lay aside some of the divine claims like Jesus does. But I do know this. The pattern which Paul is speaking is to, yes, tell us about the glory of Jesus. It is also to tell us about how the Christian life is lived out, and that is this. As Jesus submits to the Father's will, you and I submit to the Father's will as we are clothed in humility, as we serve one another, as we love our neighbor as ourselves. And in many cases, we might feel like we are brought low to a place of servant. In so doing, we also find ourselves mimicking the life modeled by Jesus. But we also trust this. That God is going to exalt us, and it might not be right now. And so the Christian understands that at some point, we too will be glorified and exalted as the children of God in glory, in eternity future, in that moment to come when God gives us our glorified place and our glorified bodies as the children of God. And so we rest in this today. I don't need glory on this earth. I've got glory coming for me in eternity. The Christian who wants to have glory now forsakes and puts aside the joy of the impending glory in heaven. We need to understand that as we look into the text. And so let's let's see about this exalted place of Jesus. Will you look with me at your outline there? Number one. Number one, I want you to first see in the passage... An exalted name. An exalted name. An exalted name. Look at verse number 9 again. The apostle says, wherefore? That's a transition word. 
Now that you heard all that, wherefore, now that you understand the mind of Christ, wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Now, I could, if you, if you had time today, and none of you seem to be begging to stay till 6 o'clock service tonight, so I won't muddy the water too much for you today. But this text right here is about six or seven hours of good Christological teaching about the, about the place of Jesus. And it really matters. And so it's everything I can do to not nerd out on this theology today. But I want you to see the importance of it. Here we find a word, this wherefore, that points us back to the death of the cross. Because of the death of the cross, or wherefore, because of the death of the cross and the resurrection, God does something to and for Jesus, and that is this. Very simply, Jesus is exalted. With this, Jesus is not only obedient to his own teaching, but Jesus also shows for you and I the validity of his teaching. Notice his words in Matthew 23 when he said this, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. The statement by Jesus was made to combat the spiritual pride of the Pharisees. Now I want to stop there for a moment and say this. Stay with me now. The statement of Jesus, or the statement of Paul about Jesus, says to you and I, There's not a person in this room that has the authority and is at the place of authority to be prideful. (laughs) It is is a pushback on pride in us. There is one exalted name. One. It's not Jesus plus me. And it isn't Jesus plus you. And so this text calls you and I to lay aside your pride today of thinking highly of yourself because there is one name that has been exalted. This is important. This is important for spiritual unity in a church. That's the context of the passage. The spiritual unity of the church that says when you and I walk in prideful, unity cannot exist. And so in the pride and in the pride of our own heart, None of us match the exalted name in place of Jesus. The death of the cross was a moment of great sacrifice, but the resurrection was a moment of great victory. Notice in Matthew 28, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. After the resurrection of Jesus... Christ spends 40 days appearing to and preparing his followers for his ascension and their ministry through the Spirit. We find in Luke chapter 24 that Jesus lifts up his hands and blessed them. And as he blessed them, he was parted from there and carried up into heaven. In Acts chapter 1, we find this. Two angels. Two angels saying to the disciples, Why stand ye gazing up into heaven. This same Jesus which was taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go up into heaven. And so what Paul is doing here is he is explaining that Jesus has come to that place from his death, 
from the victory of the, of, the, of the resurrection, the victory of the cross, to the victory of the ascension, from all that, Jesus has come and he has received that place of being highly exalted. The Father has exalted him because of his finished work. Because of the victory of the cross, because of the, the victory over death, hell, and the grave, because of his ascension back to the Father, Jesus sits today at the right hand of the Father in his exalted place. Hebrews chapter 1, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible says, speaking of Jesus, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. We know today that our Savior has, because of His finished work, because of His perfect obedience to the Father, because of His his fulfilling the, the will of the Father, Jesus now is seated at that exalted place. Do you notice the words of Hebrews 1? When he had by himself purged our sins. Let me just stop here for a moment. Jesus doesn't need our help purging our sins. Jesus doesn't need the help of a pastor to purge our sins. Jesus doesn't need the help of of water to purge our sins. The scripture is very clear that the caring for our sins, that the sacrifice for sins is not Jesus plus me, or Jesus plus my effort, or Jesus plus my good work. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And Jesus plus something ruins everything. So we find him in his exalted place. And the Bible says, Paul goes on to say that in that exalted place, Jesus is given a name which is above every name. Paul tells us here, he tells us here something that seems unique to us. What is that name? I mean, we know, as Montgomery, James Montgomery Boyce said, we know Christ Jesus has a lot of names. To highlight a few, Jesus is called Emmanuel, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, the Almighty, the Ancient of Days, the Door, the Chief Shepherd, the Good Shepherd, the Great Shepherd, the Word, the Light, the Lamb, the Bread of Life, the Rock, the Bridegroom, and the Alpha and Omega. So what possibly, what possibly could Jesus receive as a name that is above all those names? Stay with me. What possibly? What is this high exaltation that Jesus has gotten? What is this name? The truth is, the Father chose in eternity past. The Father chose in eternity past to give Jesus a name that is a divine name. It is a name that in the Old Testament was a name for ruler, sovereign one, covenant keeper. It is the name, according to verse number 11, it is that name, Lord. Lord. This does not mean that Jesus has been given more authority. It does not mean that he's been exalted to a position that is different 
from what he had in eternity past. It means that as a reward for his obedience, when the Father, Son, and Spirit came together and the Father said, I want to redeem sinful mankind. And the Bible says that Jesus, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, that all the way back in eternity past, this plan being devised that when Jesus was obedient to fulfill the plan, ascended to heaven, the Father promised to give Jesus a name. And that name for which the Jews saw God the Father as the Lord, as Yahweh, as Jehovah, as the covenant-keeping God, as the one who rules over the affairs of men, the one to whom all creation must bow. That name, the Father says, you will now be Jesus Christ the Lord. The Lord. Now, there's incredible implication there that I'll get to in just a moment, but this is our Savior, humbled in His incarnation, humiliated in death, but glorified in His resurrection and ascension, seated at the right hand of the Father. This is another reminder to you and I, there is only one name worthy of glory, honor, and praise. Only one. Hear that again. Only one. That leads us to number two in your outline. We, only, we not only see an exalted name, but we see, secondly, a worshipped name. A worshipped name. Notice in verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, and if you have a pen, underline this, every knee should bow. And in case Paul, wants, Paul wonders if you missed what every knee means, he goes on to explain of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. The claim to every knee was initially ascribed in the Old Testament to the Lord, the covenant God of Israel. Notice Isaiah 45, verse 23. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth, in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me... Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Now in the New Testament, this kind of worship that in the Old Testament was ascribed to the Father, supposedly ascribed to the Father, to the covenant God, this kind of worship is ascribed to Jesus. And the force of the text, the meaning of this text is even greater when you see the verses leading up to Isaiah 45, 23. Notice there in your outline, verse 21. He says, tell ye, and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath foretold it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me, and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. That leads all the way up to verse 23, where he says that every knee will bow and every tongue will swear. This is a name that all the way back to the Old Testament is linked to the eternal worship of the Son. The Son, Jesus. It's a statement of incredible revelation. Paul makes the connection to the original community in Philippi. And he now makes it to the modern reader, hear me, that Jesus is a sovereign ruler. 
He's the sovereign one who is Lord. He's foretold about in the Old Testament, revealed to all of us in the New Testament. And Paul says that before this sovereign ruler, before this Lord, every knee will bow. He goes on to clarify that. He says, of things in heaven. Who's he talking about? Angels. Angels will bow before Jesus. Or of things in earth. What is he talking about? Living humans. Of things under the earth. What does he mean? Dead humans. And stay with me now. Dead humans and all fallen spirits. That before the Lord Jesus Christ, every single knee will bow. Everyone. Now you go, Pastor, that's great. But what does that mean in a church? Very simply. It means that there is not a single one of us that are exempt from this reality. The danger of organized religion is this. All right, stay with me because I know that we're in church today in an organized religious environment. But the danger of organized religion is this that man is wired to create lords. Man is wired in creation to worship and to give affection and adoration to things and to people. And the danger in a church environment is twofold. It is one, that we make ourselves Lord, that we make ourselves to be the worshiped one, that we need to be recognized, or we make some kind of religious figure a worshiped one. For which Jesus says, and Paul says, there is none other. There's no one as high as our Lord. There's no one who's even close to that seated place. There is no one who deserves that exaltation. There is nobody who deserves that worship. And so the Christian, in light of the gospel, in light of the word of God, comes into a church like this and doesn't come in in a position of lordship, but the Christian, knowing his position under the Lord of glory, says, I'm just here to serve those who love the Lord of glory. And that plays out in a church in humility. It plays out in a church of gospel sacrifice and gospel love and gospel forgiveness and gospel affection for one another. Why? Because we all affirm one thing. Jesus Christ is Lord. Not the pastor. Not a deacon. Jesus. I've said it many times over the last three and a half years. I am not the man. I point this church to the man. And you are not here to receive accolades and attention. And hear me, there is no joy in that. There is joy in affirming and stating Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Lastly, number three. Number three. I want you to see, number three, a confessed name. A confessed name. And he says this, Paul says this, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Stay with me and hold your place for a moment. Because I want to I wanna, I wanna jab at some of our churchiness for just a moment. 
We love taking these texts, and here's what we love to do, and pastors love to say these things. They love to start rattling off names of people who have stood against the Lord Jesus Christ, who have said Jesus was just a good man, and they love to go throughout history and name religious leaders and these people and these atheists and these people who were, hear me, who were disrespectful to the name, and there's a place for that. I simply believe that it's important for our church to understand this. You and I do not get to say, it's going to be great when Adolf Hitler bows before the name of Jesus and says he is Lord. We do not get to say that while walking into church thinking we are Lord. Are you with me? We do not get to stand and and, and rebuke everybody else who will bow before the name of Jesus. And yes, we might glory in the fact that that day is coming, but shame on us if we come to church and we begin to highly exalt ourselves. We can't have it both ways. The truth is, in my pride this morning, I too will bow before Jesus. Just like everybody else who didn't, who doesn't believe in God or stood against all things that, that God would be for, all who have harmed and done evil in the world who will bow before Jesus, so will you and I. Every tongue will confess. So Paul links these two. He says every knee will bow and every tongue should confess. This is the verbal connection to the bowed knee. All will bow their knee and all will verbalize, Jesus Christ is Lord. We find in this verse the incredible triad of names declaring who Jesus is. When Paul writes these, and you see these in the New Testament, stay with me as we begin to conclude. This triad here, Jesus Christ is Lord, matters. It is, if you will, it is an apostolic shorthand for the gospel. Jesus Christ is Lord literally says the gospel to us, and here's how it is. Jesus, Jesus, that is the Lord saves. It's his saving name. Christ, that is his anointed name. That is his messianic name. That is the one that says the anointed one who will come and free and redeem and save. This is Jesus Christ. And we often will say, Jesus Christ, that's who we worship. Jesus Christ, the saving Lord, the anointed Lord. But now we come to that and we finish it. And that is this, that Jesus Christ, Lord, that is his sovereign name. And I want you to hear me. Don't be afraid of the idea of sovereign. That simply says this, that, that the word Lord is his ruling name. It is his name of ruling authority over all things that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will literally say this. That is the saving, anointed ruler to which all believers will resound with amen and amen because that is the gospel. That is the gospel. Jesus Christ is Lord. And in that moment, in that moment, it will all be for the glory of the one who planned it. The Father. The Father. See, in, the pa- in eternity past, the Father, He is the one who gives the command. The Son is the one who administrates and carries out the plan. And it is the Spirit 
who actualizes and completes the plan. And so all of this moment, don't miss, is all. When everybody bows and says, Jesus Christ is Lord, that is the saving anointed ruler. The Son will say, all glory be to the Father. All glory be to the Father. Now, all that sounds awesome, and we all love that because it's deeply Christological. It it shows us the glory of Jesus. But it causes us to say this. It causes us to say this when we, as Christians, there is no one else worthy of that glory. I saw a Christian author say recently, he said it like this, and maybe you'll appreciate this in a modern vernacular. He said it like this, stop photobombing Jesus. Stop photobombing Jesus. It's his picture. It's his glory. It's his attention. It's his worship. It's his honor. You and I don't deserve to be in the picture. You and I aren't trying to sneak in. You and I aren't trying to get any credit for it. You and I don't need a pat on the back for it. You don't not, You and I don't need any honor for it. And so when you come to church, don't look for the honor of it. Don't look for the glory of it. Don't look for somebody to notice you. Don't look for somebody to, to give you a pat on the back. Hear me. All attention and all eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. For the glory of God the Father. And so, let me ask you this. So, ask you a couple questions in conclusion. What would your relationships be like? Stay with me. Don't check out on this yet. What would your relationships be like if you believed that Jesus' name was the exalted name? What would your marriage be like? Hear me. Husbands, bad theology out there that says the husband is the Lord of the home. No, there's one Lord of your home, and that's Jesus. Are you with me? What would would it be like if we all said there's an exalted name in this marriage, and it's not Dustin, and it's not even Mindy. The name that is exalted in this marriage is the name of Jesus. You with me? What would it be like if our homes, if our churches, if our workplace was not me climbing ladders over people? Would you just go to work, work hard, glorify Jesus, exalt Jesus, serve people, love people, and trust that God knows where you are? Stop trying to photobob him at work. What would it be like? You say, well, that's not what the work environment is like, Pastor. I understand. But it is like what gospel Christians are. It is how gospel believers are. If we just step back and said, it is the Lord. It is the Lord who is exalted, and so I want Him to be magnified. Number two, how would we walk in our relationship with Him if we knew His status? Do you realize, do you realize today that the God with whom you and and I are invited to walk is seated at that exalted place? Do you imagine? I want to share a story with you in conclusion. There have been two times over the last year that I have had the opportunity to go to a sporting event. And you know I love to talk about sporting events. One was a Chicago Bulls basketball game, and one was a Chicago Cubs baseball game. 
Both times I was given tickets that I didn't pay for. A friend gave them to me and I was able to take some other friends with me, visiting friends, visiting pastor. Both times it was a similar situation. One time it was a Chicago Bulls game where we were in. Have you ever seen the people that are in the suites and they're all eating all this food? And here you are eating a pretzel with cheese and they got like brisket and all that stuff. That was me one time. And I walked, I walked out of there and I was looking at all the, the peasants. Out. I'm just kidding, I didn't do that. And man, you're in this suite with some people and, and see business professionals. And a friend of mine gave me these, seat, these tickets and you walk in and everybody's like, hey, what's your name? What do you do for a living? And, you know, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm in sales and I'm in, I'm in risk management and I'm in banking. And here am I, oh, I'm just a pastor. Hey, good to meet you. Well, I'm glad to be here with you. And, and the first time, I thought it was interesting. I walked in, and there was a young man sitting there. And I said hello to him. And he said to me, he gave me his name, and he gave me his dad's name. To which I thought, he said, this is my name. I am the son of so-and-so. And I thought, okay, cool. I don't know who your dad is. I didn't, I didn't say that, but I just thought, Interesting. And it wasn't until the second time that I was at Wrigley Field, it was about three or four weeks ago, somebody gave me tickets to a Cubs game, and in the tickets was access to what's called the 1914 Club at Wrigley, and it's free food and all this unlimited food and drink kind of access thing. And there's a suite. You can go sit in the suite if you're hot, like it was the last couple days. Instead of sitting in outside, you can watch the game from your suite. And I thought, oh, this is cool. Let me go check out the suite. So my friend and I walk in, and there was the exact same guy. Clearly, I have this guy's, these guys, this guy's sweet tickets. And so he didn't remember me, and I'm not sure. I've got a, faith that, a face that you'll never forget, right? And uh, he looked at me, and he said his name, and he said, my dad is so-and-so. And I thought, I don't even know who that guy is. So I walk out, and I open up my phone, and I type into Google the dad's name. Right? Google's your friend on these things, isn't it? I forget about the World Wide Web when I need it, right? And this guy, I'll tell you the name, this guy, this young man, his father, his father's name is all over stadiums at Northwestern University. Ryan Welsh Arena. The Ryan family, the football stadium for Northwestern University. I had no idea. Here's the point. That young man, probably 30 years old, was living under the status of his father. In many cases, it was a little bit of an identity crisis. Like, I've got to tell you that I'm somebody important. Here's, the, here's how Christians see this. We walk in and we say, hey, John, I'm Dustin. I'm the son. I'm the son of the king. My Savior is the ruler. And just like that young man lived under his father's status, so you and I walk under the status of the sovereign ruler of the universe. That matters in our walk. Christians aren't defeated. No, the victory's already been won. Christians aren't feeling lost. No, we are underneath our sovereign ruler and we live with this 
joy dominating our life, that one day, one day every knee will bow. One day every tongue will confess that our Savior is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in that day, all the wrongs that you and I don't like will be righted. All the things that should never have happened will be dealt with. And we will cry aloud, our Savior, Messiah, and King. Amen? Until then, let your marriage be dominated by one Lord. And let's let this church be dominated by the same Lord. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.